Well, you done found blurry photos. The rank cranklinest, mystery havenest, unknown explorerness podcast this side of the Rio Grande. And this here's my deputy. I'm David Flora. <laughs> and I'm Sheriff Dave Stacco. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we just found a rich old mystery vein. Oh, we're going to bleed it. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to strangle you to death, deputy. <laughs> but that's how mysteries stay mysterious. <laughs> I have not gotten an ab workout like that in weeks. You sounded like you were choking to death. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm going to feel that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, oh. If I suddenly just go, Hawk, that's, that, that's my whole stomach cavity just kind of clinching up. Yep. So yep. I'm David Flora. I'm Dave Stecco. Welcome to Blurry Photos. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well... Yeah, that's off. Now you're on the stage, coach. Boom. We are out of the blocks and running. <laughs> oh, man. Hope everybody's doing okay. Uh, we got a good episode for you. Oh, man. We have, I mean, like a great modern, like ghost story almost. This is a great, if you go camping this summer, remember this story and tell it around <laughs> the campfire. This is a great campfire story. Yeah. You know, uh, remember this story also uh, for what crazy sh- could happen while you're out in the oh. great outdoors. Oh, that's true. Oh. oh, this is. Does that make this what the the tale, the entirely true tale that we're mm. going to be uh, telling you tonight? Does that make it an even better camp story, campfire story, or does it make it the worst thing you can tell people before they they go camping? Why not both? Oh man, let's not ostracize people for this. All right, all right, all right. Every, everybody's welcome at Everybody the mystery is. table. <laughs> Plenty of room. But where's the food? Mystery. <laughs> Mystery. Hey, everybody. Tonight we're talking about Dyatlov Pass. That's right. And the incident therein. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you run in these circles that, that we like to throw out uh-huh. there, you may have heard of this before. If you like how stuff works, they've got a good uh, little short snippet on Dyatlov Pass and one of their past stuff they don't want you to know uh, episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mysterious Universe. Mysterious Universe is a great one. Basically, it's it's been covered because it's uh, it's very (laughs) it it, it remains a mystery, and it's a it's just a fucking good mystery. Yeah, it's delicious. There's a lot of stuff to it, and like all good mysteries, uh, the more people get a hold of it, the more spices that get thrown into the pot. Yep, and this thing's already bubbling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you can you can taste of it now. Or you could wait for later. I like. It's that like you a good. It's strangely formal on that. You could taste of it now, or you could taste of its flavor later. Spelled F L A V O U R. Yeah, the British so. flavor. <laughs> um, now, just just to set the, I want to keep going with this metaphor. Just to set your dining experience. Just to put a really great, classy tablecloth down. Uh-huh. The events that we're going to describe to you happened in 1959 but with the exception of the people directly related to it no one knew that it had anything had happened until the 90s until post fall of the soviet union and people started finding these old classified files 
Right, right. So this is this has got like I mean, even just the candy coating on this mystery yeah. is great. Yeah, probably uh, carcinogenic and has, <laughs> has some red dye in it. Number five, yep. uh, but no, I mean just even that fact alone that this had been classified and buried for over forty years and and only is somewhat recently come to light. And and like I said. Uh, people claim that new stuff keeps coming out, keeps coming mm-hmm. to light. There's stuff that's been lost and recovered and remains lost and remains recovered. But like uh, stuff keeps coming up that adds to t- some of the accounts that happen. Stuff comes up that adds to the evidence of what was found. So we're going to talk about what happened to uh, a group of nine skiers slash hikers. Slash in- students slash communists. <laughs> Exterminate in the uh, Ural Mountains yep. in 1959. Now the Ural Mountains are in uh, kind of like a, uh, a western, but kind of central, central western, western central part of Russia. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, not one of the good parts of Russia. <laughs> America. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get into this because uh, I, I don't want to say too much. This is oh yeah, no, such a rich. Let's, let's find out what happens to our hikers. Yeah, yeah. So we have a a, a team that was formed, uh, consisting of eight men and two women, all of whom were students or uh, graduates of the Ural Polytechnic Institute. Except for one. One guy was a professional tour guide slash ski instructor. demolitions expert. Yeah. Um, Okay, I just made that part up. But when you say we put together a team, you have to have a guy who's a demolitions expert. And this guy, since he's not a a student or or a grad, he's, yeah, Yeah. he's the natural choice. So he was was a tour guide, ski instructor, you know. He he went along uh, with these guys. They, and, and trips like that, were were common like yeah. these these kind of they they went on these ski trips cross country skiing kind of hiking. It's important to note that while he was sort of a tour guide of sorts, everyone going on this trip was an accomplished alpine cross country skier and trekker. They yeah. all it was uh, considered to be a, a somewhat dangerous because of the time of year trip, but not not so dangerous that a person who has skills couldn't do it. It wasn't True. considered. No one was worried about them. They all had a lot of experience doing this. They were all accomplished outdoorsmen and women. Mm. Yeah. People, slash communists. <laughs> people uh, did these ski trips for everything from sightseeing to, to going out and exploring. So it wasn't uncommon for you know a group like this to get together to do this. Uh, although it seems like this one was formed to, to give their leader, whose name was Igor Dyatlov, training for future expeditions. Mm-hmm. The ski instructor, Alexander Zolotorev, joined up for uh, experience as well because they didn't really have a formal kind of training system for you to, you know, uh, earn your your merit badges as a a tour guide for stuff like this. So he was just getting experience so he could add it to the resume and become a master uh, tour guide. (laughs) In Soviet Russia, mountain trains you. (laughs) As opposed to America where we train the mountain. That's right. Okay. That's right. Well, we really? Why don't you go ask my buddy Rushmore? See how it turned out for him. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> USA! USA! <laughs> okay, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah! You didn't think I would actually cite an example of us training a mountain. Fair enough. Uh, the trip they planned would take them many miles along the main ridge of the Ural Mountains, uh, around the, the mountain Gora Oterton. That was the name of the, the mm-hmm. mountain. 
And uh, in the Mansi uh, language, which the Mansi were indigenous people of, of uh, Western Siberia, including the northern uh, parts there in Russia and the Ural Mountains in that area. And we will be hearing from them again later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gora Otorten basically means... Uh, Place where nine people have problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's Russian for... Y'all should go. <laughs> y'all need to leave. Yeah, y'all need to get out of here. Meow, meow, meow. Um, <laughs> and this I'll was this was in. a little little quicker than a two week trip. Supposed to be about twelve days. Now, with uh, like you mentioned before, with today's kind of uh, equipment, you know, if if someone were to make the trip today, it would be considered a solid average uh, difficulty mm-hmm. for for anybody. In 1959, it was one of the hardest trips that uh, somebody could take that that could be attempted. Now, the team, uh, like you said, considered very experienced, and, and despite their youth, they were athletic and not unused to uh, to a trip like this. Uh, the ages of them were between 21 and 25, with uh, Zolotorev, the uh, ski instructor dude, the, the tour guide guy, being a ripe old 37. So Old and broken. <laughs> what a useless guy to have around. Dreams are crushed. Um, so here's kind of a, a time frame for, for what happened to, to these guys. On uh, January 27th, the team sets off towards Gora Odorten from a town called Vichay. On January 28th, one of the team members, Yuri Yudin, falls ill and returns to Vichay. So they'd gotten a little ways out. Uh, Yuri contracts dysentery, I think, something, yeah. like, something like that. He has to go back to uh, uh, Vichay, uh, which I, I can't help but think, oh, Vichay, Vichay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Horrible. Interestingly enough, <laughs> rare cases in history where a person ends up being pretty damn glad they caught dysentery. <laughs> dysentery actually worked out for Yuri. Yeah. That uh, that was the, the ever so rare lucky dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> So that was uh, that was January twenty eighth. January thirty first, the team reaches the edge of the Highlands Zone and they prepare uh, to ascend the the mountain there. Yep. So they've got Gora Ototen right there in their sights, and um, they decide to stop and and kind of spend the day making sure they got every you know all their their ducks in a row there and making sure that they the ducks can can fly up the hill and and stuff like that. God. What a terrible metaphor. But um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they, they stopped and... Nice metaphor, <laughs> Spring Hill Jack Slap. <laughs> I earned it. So... <laughs> so that, that metaphor made a, made a simile look like an allegory. <laughs> Uh, so that was that was January thirty first. So on February first, the morning, they set off um, and they they get through a forest and they're going up a pretty steep incline at this point. And uh, perhaps the the weather was was worsening a little bit. They end up only covering about two and a half miles that morning. Around four o'clock that day, uh, they are on the slopes of Kolat Siakl, which. Again, this is uh, Mansi, the indigenous peoples. This is language, their language, uh, meaning mountain of the dead. So, dun, uh, dun, dun. so let's let's get a nice ripe thunder sound. Nice. 
Nice. Uh, but uh, of course they don't. They don't care if they no. even know that. No one ever cares. So on the slopes there of Colatsiaklo, they decide to set up a camp, and they're about ten miles from, uh, I guess, the summit of of uh, Gora Otorton. Mm-hmm. And uh, so around six p.m., uh, they decide to eat. And now the the temperatures, mind you, outside were creeping around negative twenty five to thirty below uh, Celsius. Mm-hmm which is minus uh, 13 to 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. Uh, that's, what, that's what they're going to get to uh, that night. So they're starting to, to creep lower while they're eating dinner there on uh, Kolatsiakl. Now, uh, keep in mind at this point, Yuri is still uh, staying at uh, a rest stop, like a cabin. He, he made it back to Vichy. Yeah, despite his illness. And, and he's waiting, and time passes, or time passes, now, they were supposed to be back around February 12th. Yeah, that's that's when they're supposed to arrive um, back. But, you know, it's it's a long trip, bad weather, it's on a mountain. You know, give, give them, them a, a yeah. couple days. Yeah. yeah, there's a little wiggle room there. So he waits, and still no one comes back. So he starts to raise the alarm. He tries to get a search party, and people are disinclined to help him. They just, they're not alarmed. They're not worried. Yeah. Um, around it, uh, February 20th. Yeah. Finally, the, the families of the other hikers get involved in this, mm-hmm. and finally they pester and hound until they get uh, local police and uh, medical services to, to go looking for yeah, these Yeah, do people. a search party. So uh, February 21st to the 25th, they searched for these guys. Yeah. No sign of them. Nothing. No, they, they, they had no luck. Of course, they didn't have a big force out there yeah. looking. So that's when they get civilian and military authorities involved. Yeah, that's that's when the big guns start rolling out and helicopters and whatnot. Yeah. So February 26th, a pilot spots what looks to be their, a their campsite. Camp. Yep. They go down there, and then they find uh, the tent. And the reason that we know that they had dinner at 6 o'clock back on February 1st. Yeah, they've got their journals. Now Now is when the mystery starts. <laughs> so the military, they get to the campsite and they find six clown costumes. Is that not accurate? That- uh, uh, <laughs> not not, not in the version that I... <laughs> Freaky, right? <laughs> what? There's pie filling everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and a very small set of car tracks leading yeah. off. <laughs> and there's no way of knowing how many clowns there are. <laughs> no way of knowing. <laughs> Can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Yeah. Um, no, so what they find is perplexing to say the least. Um, they find the tent, which has been cut open from the inside. They find tracks leading... The, the, the tent, by the way, is, is completely kind of uh, fallen on, apart on itself. Yeah, it's, it's collapsed. They find tracks, a full set of uh, tracks leading away. It looks like everyone in the camp went out, but there was only one shoe, maybe one person wearing shoes. There was a lot of people barefoot, some people only wearing socks. One guy is wearing one shoe, one mm-hmm. sock. Mm-hmm. And then the, the footprints kind of scatter after that. Yep. So, so it looks like whenever they got out of the tent, they split. Yeah, and, they and just... They were, it was obviously a very disorganized, yeah. rapid exit. Most of their gear, uh, their thermal gear, things like that, coats, left behind. Mm-hmm. So whatever happened, they left their tent so fast that the zipper wasn't fast enough. Yeah, and and shoes were not really an option. Yeah, no, they just got the hell out of their tent and then scattered. So uh, searchers follow this chain of, of footprints. 
they noticed that the the footprints, while scattered at first, seem to finally get back together. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, maybe three hundred meters down down the slope, yeah, or something. But they all headed downhill towards this forest that was down there, and they follow them. They get to the forest edge, and then there's this big old cedar. That's that's right there. You know, one of these trees that's kind of pretty big, a lot bigger yeah. than some of the others that are around there. And they smell so good. And that's where they they find the remains of a fire mm-hmm. under that cedar. Also, the remains of two people and two people. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what? Next time we tell this story, let's give the people the top billing. We'll tell them about the fire later. <laughs> Just seems respectful. Well. <laughs> the two bodies were that of Yuri Krivanishenko and Yuri Doroshenko. There's a lot of Yuris in this party, by the and way. And a lot of Shenkos. A lot of Shenkos. Hmm. These guys are shoeless, and they are wearing only underwear. Which is not recommended if you're in the Ural Mountains True. in the winter. They also are observed to have uh, burnt hands, which were also kind of raw, mm-hmm. almost to the bone in some parts. And uh, they were they're buried under the snow a bit. They looked up and they see that uh, branches on this tree were broken up to five meters, around around fifteen feet up. This yep. this tree had all these broken branches, and the trunk of it had evidence of skin and tissue embedded in it. So it looked like were, those raw hands that they had for trying to for trying to climb a tree, trying to climb the tree. Which there. so they made it to this tree. They maybe tried to set up a shelter. They made a fire. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Sure. But on our list of spooky mysteries, were they trying to climb the tree to get a better vantage point? Were they trying to get away from something? Right. Because they tried really, really hard to get up that tree. Yeah. They lost portions of their hands to this. So that's two. Yep. Now we've got seven more unaccounted for at this point. So they start looking more at these tracks that Mm -hmm. are still in the snow. Uh, About 300 meters away from that fire, back towards the tent... The searchers find the body of Igor Dyatlov, the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. He was laying on his back. A small birch branch was in one hand, and the other hand was up, shielding his head. And he was frozen in this position. Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, they keep going. Mm-hmm. 180 meters from Dyatlov, still towards the tent. Returning back to the camp. Trying to, yes. Was the body of Rustem Slobodin. He is face down in the snow. And he has a skull fracture that's about 17 centimeters long. It's about seven inches or so. Yeah. Not lethal. Not lethal, though, that they determined later, which is interesting. Now, 150 meters uh, farther from him, still closer to the camp, but still not back, they find the body of Zinaida Komogorov. And actually with her, they find traces of blood around her. But she has no injuries that would... Be the yeah. cause of, of the blood. No obvious source for the blood. Right. Which was interesting. So now we've got five of the nine. Yeah. We're sort of a, a grisly checklist. Now. Yeah. So they keep looking mm-hmm. and they unfortunately don't find anybody else. Right. So so you've got these people. And this is, this is what it's starting to sound like to me. You've got an event that happens. Mm-hmm. They eat dinner at six o'clock. Then... A thing happens. Yeah, at which they've determined later, probably around 9.30, depending on oh, from, uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, but uh, from the undigested food and, and mm-hmm. things like that, they, they concluded that. Something awful happens. Yes, yeah, and, and goes down. And it scares them to death. 
whatever's happening, they panic. They instantly leave their tent. They, they, they cut the side open. Uh, and maybe, I don't know if it was just because that was the quickest way out or if they needed two ways to get out of the tent. Maybe there sure. were people leaving through the main entrance. They were like, not fast enough. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and then, or they couldn't get it open or tied it shut or. Yeah. And then there's that, that scattering, which again says panic to me. Yeah. Um, and then maybe they kind of collect themselves a little bit and then they're able to reconvene at this cedar tree. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's fascinating. So we've got two people that stayed at the cedar tree and died. Yeah. And then we've got these people and we don't know, I mean, did they go together mm-hmm. or did they each go one at a time and make it different distances? Right. And none of them make it back to camp. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's spooky and then nothing. And we, then, yeah, there's four got, more unaccounted for. And the, the search goes on for weeks mm-hmm. and then months and nothing. And nothing up until May 4th when you get uh, spring starting to come in there. You get yep. some thaw going. Uh, the remaining four were found buried under four meters of snow. That's about uh, uh, 12 feet mm-hmm. for you. And that's, you know what? We're a podcast that cares because we do the conversions for you. Yep. Go to hell, metric. <laughs> Go to hell and you die. Well, I, I was going to say we do the uh, we do the conversion so that we're accessible and that uh, we're legitimate mm-hmm. and literate and literate. We're Le- legitimate. Legitimate. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> let's put that on business cards. <laughs> Blurry photos. We're legitimate. <laughs> that'll that'll win its fans. So it's, it's a description that is self undermining. <laughs> <laughs> We're so literate, we made up a word that doesn't exist to describe it. <laughs> so anyways, uh, the bodies were uh, in a ravine that was about 75 meters farther into the woods from that cedar tree. The body of Nicholas Thibault Brignol had a trauma to the skull, sort of an internal crushing almost, uh, but no external wounds. Mm-hmm. And now this is interesting because this is the first person that we've talked about that died not from exposure. Everyone right. else died of, of hypothermia and exposure to the cold. Right. So this is the first guy that died from something that wasn't that. Two more hikers, Alexander Zolotarov and Ludmila Dubunina's chests had been crushed inward, breaking several of their ribs and causing massive internal trauma. But there was no signs of bruising or soft tissue damage on the outside. A doctor who examined them later said the force that, that would have to do that to somebody would be equal to that of a car crash. Yeah. So a very, very yeah. massive how, force. How do, you, how do you crush a skull or ribs and leave no bruising to the outside? Right. The final body was then found. Alexander Kolovitov was the last to be found. From, from what I understood, there was no trauma that he, he suffered. Oh, okay. Not like, at least not like mm. any of the others, so could have been another death from uh, hypothermia for him now let's let's not omit a very important fact that not all of ludmilla was found that's true she was missing her tongue yep they found her in a state where her head was tilted back and her tongue was gone yeah and there was also damage to uh, their eyes yep a lot of them were missing eyes yeah that's that's kind of a, a weird hard thing to explain because on one hand, one of the first things a scavenger goes for, eyes. Mm-hmm. But these guys were found uh, under meters of snow. Mm-hmm. And as far as they could tell, they did look back on the records and it was snowing that night. Mm-hmm. And eyes are pretty durable organs. 
they don't they don't just desiccate and disappear or wither. Yeah. Um, and the the optic nerve that attaches those to the brain is also pretty thick and fibrous. Sure. Um, fun fun fact. Um, years ago, I had a job as a what they call an enucleation technician, where I took corneas from the very recently deceased for transplant surgery. So if someone died, I would go to the morgue or the hospital and recover either their corneas or their whole eyes. So I actually I've pulled some eyeballs out of some people and the uh the optic nerve is is really really hard to get through. It's it's your eye. What do you use? You use uh, bolt cutters? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's just uh, you know some clines. Some... Uh, hold this for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, and it's snap. Wow. <laughs> My eye. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> 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 You'll put your eye out. <laughs> um, so, Irony. I love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a it's odd that that they're gone. Yeah, it, yeah. There's a, there's some things there that don't quite add up. Now, also with uh, Dubunina, one of her feet was wrapped in a piece of Kravonishinko's wool pants, and Zolotorov was wearing Dubunina's faux fur hat and coat at the time when they found them. Yeah, so this is also interesting. They were wearing everyone else's gear, and it it almost seems as though the guys at the cedar tree may have been the first to die, and then they took their gear off of them. Yeah, if they even had gear on them. Yeah, um, we're we're getting into some of the this. I mean, you yeah. can't help but like you said, fill in the blanks with a lot of the stuff, right? But and wonder we'll try to. But the, well, the the few things that are very clear is that no one ever made it back to camp. Right. And again, though, these people were found 75 meters further into the forest. Yeah. So it, it almost is as if the group, they, they all made it back to the, to the tree. And then there was this three-way fracture in the group. You've got one faction that says, when you're lost, the best thing you can do is stay put. Mm-hmm. They maybe even try to get a better vantage point. There was the, you know, they try to get up a tree. They build a fire. Mm-hmm. There's another group. That says no. We have to go back to camp, which is the most interesting because, top of your head, that seems like a no-brainer, and yet two thirds of their group were like, "We're not going back there." Yeah, that's true. Whatever happened there, maybe still held a threat. Yeah, but they were not going to go back there. And only only three people made any attempt to do it, and then the rest of them said, "We're getting further away." Mm-hmm. You know, f that noise. We're out. Yeah. So, I mean, this meeting, to my mind, the meeting at the tree is just as fascinating to me as the the moment, the thing that happened that caused them to all flee in the first place. That's true. Like, I mean, if you could have a recording of anything, I would want the, if I could just have a tape recording of one event in this whole thing, it would be the meeting at the tree. I'd want to know what happened there and what they were saying. And we're also supposing that they all got back together just based on uh, tracks mm-hmm. and, and just uh, based on kind of, I guess, uh, filling in the blanks like, right. like we're doing. Could be that they never got back together. Could be that they were all separate, mm-hmm. you know, or at least happened upon each other at different times or something right. like that. There's always that that possibility. But searchers noted, you know, a few few really weird things and, and a lot of stuff that spices up this gumbo pretty pretty well here coming up. Number one, the tent being cut from the inside, right. which we've already uh, mentioned here. Number two, one of the one of the weirdest things, some of the clothing that they found 
apparently emitted higher than normal levels of radiation. Yeah, two pairs of pants and a sweater. Yeah. Hmm. Radioactive. Witnesses at the funerals apparently reported the skin of the bodies was unnaturally orange and or tan, and that uh, some of them even had gray hair or perhaps even premature aging going on. That was coming from kind of, I guess, oral reports of stuff. That was nothing that that was actually, I think, written in the file. Yeah, those those were all interviews with family. So the official word Mm -hmm. uh, that that came down after everybody had gone up there and trudged around and looked at everything, the official word was they all died of hypothermia. Huh. They also, uh, it was written in the case file that uh, officially... They also died of a compelling unknown force. Yeah. Yeah. The official, a compelling unknown force. And I mean, that's obviously the biggest uh, and easiest way to say, we don't know what the f*** happened here at all. Right. And then they were like, well, I guess we'll just classify this and lock it away for the next 40 years. Keeping in mind, if the Soviet Union hadn't fallen, we'd still wouldn't know about it. Probably not. Yeah, uh, this, <laughs> because of this, because there's such like, yeah. such great uh, possibility with all, all explanation, the theories have just poured out of what could have caused this, oh, what, yeah. what happened to these poor people. Uh, so let's go through some of these theories. Let's break it down. Right now. How about, how about we start, start small? Yeah. <laughs> and let's go with the, uh, the old avalanche theory yeah. or maybe even a fear of an avalanche mm-hmm. that caused them to scatter in the the pro con the pro avalanche is that that area is well known for avalanches even even on not terribly uh inclined areas sure um the the snowpack can shift and that would say for example what if the the snow shifted and started coming into the tent partially collapsing it these people were afraid they were going to get buried alive yep they cut a hole in their tent and they just try to get out of it in time. Um, and they're just trying to get away from the, the snowfall. Yeah. Or even heard yeah. a rumbling. They, they're probably experienced enough, you know, like, right. the, like we said, they, they would be able to tell if something's awry. The fear of that could cause them to get out there pretty quick. Mm-hmm. That's a real concern. It's sort of mundane. Mm-hmm. Things that work against that, their unwillingness to return to the camp. Yeah, um, that doesn't really or seeming, seeming unwillingness. I seeming, guess we should uh, say. yeah, as best it could. Only three of nine people attempted to get back to the camp, um, unless they were lost, which is possible. True, they ran out without any gear in the dark. In the dark. Also, their camp was still there. So if they're right, the stakes were in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the the tent had collapsed and everything. There was some snow on it. It hadn't. You know, there was what fourteen days between when they were there. And and when the next people showed up, yeah, you and, know, and things still looked intact. Now the the fear of the avalanche that that could be a possibility of of why they got out of there, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, but then, like we like we said, uh, an, an avalanche didn't look like it happened, right? And it doesn't necessarily explain the decision to try to establish a, a tiny you know, build a fire, right? Climb a tree. It doesn't, uh, and, and I guess while we're doing the the most mundane, ex, you know, explanations, those uh, the the four people that were found later, they fell into a ravine. Yeah, is is thirteen feet enough fall distance to do that damage? Maybe, but 
I, it still doesn't really explain the lo- the lack of, of external trauma to their bodies. Yeah, and it was noted that in the forest itself, there was no evidence of any trees being knocked down, you mm-hmm. know, any, any kind of avalanche damage that would have uh, probably occurred with an actual avalanche or something that would yeah. be, a, a, you know, for them uh, to be that scared like that. But that's that's that theory. Yeah. Another theory out there. Mansi natives attacked yes. them. Yes. Told you they'd come back. <laughs> I told you. But you didn't believe me. I don't know. What, how did a leprechaun get in here? He just did, man. You weren't looking. They're mysterious. Uh, yeah. The, the, the indigenous population. Didn't like them encroaching on their land there. Yeah. Um, took offense and, uh, and came in there. Didn't, didn't actually like, shoot anybody, stab anybody, spear anybody, you know, anything like that. But uh, could have, I mean, there's spooked them. There's a thought that, you know, they, well, there's a thought that they, they forced them out into the mm-hmm. elements to, to die on their own. Maybe clocked a couple of them with the butts of rifles to get those skull fractures. Uh, sat on one of the, you know, maybe the girl was screaming. They, they sat on her chest, it was a, cut a, her a, tongue out. Yeah, there was a, a, a blood foam outside of her, around her mouth. It's true, yeah. So could have been something like that. Now, what is not explained by that, there's only their tracks are seen. Right. There are no additional tracks. They didn't find anybody anybody else's tracks. There were nine sets. And I suppose if you were hell-bent on this, you'd say, well, these are the native to this area. If they, 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 Just they like probably, vampires yeah. can walk across a bed of dry leaves with making no noise. They probably figured out how to move and leave the very least amount of, of evidence, which... Given you know the fourteen sixteen day turnaround, even that would be destroyed. Sure. You know, maybe I, I don't know how much credit do we give them. I don't know. Well, I would give them a, a lot, but in terms of this, one thing that kind of works in their favor is that that there's the thought that they have the custom where they do not steal or they wouldn't take any of their belongings because none of their belongings were missing. Right, all of their stuff was present and accounted for, just maybe back at the camp or on them if if they were lucky enough. None of that was was taken or anything. They were just dead. Yeah. So that could work in in the favor of the Mansi, and that's one of the reasons the Mansi uh, has come up as a as an explanation. But I think it's it's pretty much ruled out because of the tracks, because the Mansi as a people usually are are pretty chill, at least of that region and of the natives and the indigenous population, they're the most uh, accepting and chill of those guys that are out there already. There's a little more, little more to it where you, you can get the, maybe a government cover up because they wanted the oil fields that were in Mansi territory. Uh, so maybe there could be a cover up where the, the government didn't want anybody knowing they kind of brushed it under the rug so yeah. that they could preserve their, their ties to the Mansi, you know, and not risk some major ethnic war or something like that. Which, uh, you know, to balance that out, the, the Mansi were always a very small group. Right. There's, and they, they're coming back, but at one point there was down, there were less than 10,000 of them total. Sure. So, so Mansi, probably not. Yeah, it doesn't. That's, that's what we're. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's just, a, it's a lot of effort to go through. Yeah. For a stay off my land. Right. Get, know, on, get off my lawn. Right. Now, another very elaborate theory is uh, called the controlled delivery theory. Oh, goodness. And this thing functionally postulates that this is a Cold War spy drop yeah. that went horribly awry. Yeah. 
it's amazing just in that it kind of incorporates a little bit of everything, but it still leaves like all of these tons of unanswered questions. The, the theory being that three people in the group were actually secret KGB. One of them was supposed to, uh, under the, the guise of this grand outing Mm -hmm. was going to be secretly delivering radioactive samples to another party. And that was via dust yeah. on the coat, right? On the coat, yeah. And, th- and that's where you get some radioactivity on the clothing that he was going to deliver this out here. Uh, so they go out there, they meet up with these guys, their their contact or or whatever, and it goes wrong. Um, at this point, you <laughs> capital kinda, W, yeah. Wrong. You get uh, a very similar kind of thing with the Mansi. Um, they were forced out of the tent mm-hmm. without their gear to let the cold finish them off. So that there's no evidence. No witnesses. Right. And then there is some quote unquote supporting evidence because three months after, you know, after these people were discovered in July of that year, three high ranking members of the KGB were replaced, which right. has never happened. And that's a big deal. I that's, see that feels pretty reachy to me. I mean, if you take Occam's razor. Yeah. Which I hate to take, but sometimes I'll take it. <laughs> it hurts going down. <laughs> But it hurts coming out too. But um, (laughs) if you take that. That's Occam's dysentery you were just discussing. (laughs) It uh, uh, states that the simplest explanation is often the the best, right? This is the opposite. Yeah. This this would be Occam's. um, Toothbrush? Toothbrush. It was just getting that toothpaste foam all over the mouth of this mystery. It's spitting on the mirror. Yeah. You got to clean it. It dries. Come on, man. This thing is, it's like. If you want a huge bullshit reason that that takes you through twists and turns, and and James Bond was there, and he looked right. at me, and he got a girl pregnant, and they didn't write about that one. Ian Fleming was like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do James Bond's son because I, I he's a one shot deal. We're gonna keep going with this this track that we're going on. James Bond is doing fine on his own. Leave me alone. I'm Ian Fleming. Hey, make me a knight. <laughs> if you do all that, then <laughs> wait, what was I talking about? <laughs> I don't know. But you're right. This is like if if Tom Clancy had to write a screenplay about this, this is what you get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is basically Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, um, I only have paid attention to the movie. I think so this would be skier. I, I should have Tinker Tailor Taylor Skier Spy. Tinker Tanger. Tinkle Danger. Tinkle Dinkle Stoner Guy. Tinkle Danger Stoner Guy. I played the Dinkle. <laughs> yeah, um, this this one this one's too little too complex for for my taste, and I like complex. Yeah, it's it is elaborate, which uh, brings us to our not to say that it it could not yeah no. have happened. That's the thing about this spoiler for you. There's no answer to this. Yeah, no one knows. The, none of these are known. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that leaves, uh, we got a, a few more options here. Sure we, sure, we sure do. How about, uh, could be secret weapons testing? Yeah. Yeah. This was going on back then. Cold war. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of this stuff is a nice, uh, isolated, uh, desolate area. Yeah. A group of people about 50 miles away the same night saw large orange balls in the sky. Yeah. Um, in, in the direct, in, in the exact direction of where these guys were camped Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was later determined and confirmed to be a weapons testing. Crazy. Yeah. Intercontinental ballistic missiles, I believe. Right. Yeah. ICBM testing. They were testing those. 
it, it, it matches up in one respect. You know, if you have a, a, a rocket going overhead or something like that, you get huge overpressure. Hmm. So, so may, maybe that's where you're getting this, this blunt trauma to three out of nine people. See, even that, right. it doesn't, you know, right. it's so hard to find and, something that explains everything. Right. And, and an explosion that doesn't account for, uh, yeah, three out of nine. It doesn't account for no evidence of any blast that right. happened. Chemical. I mean, it doesn't show up in, in any, how does that get in the tent? Right. I and, don't know. and the other thing is that, yeah, you, you could say, Oh, maybe a huge amount of carbon dioxide was released. Um, but this is just a big burp bomb. Right. Uh, none of that. I mean, cause you, if, if it's chemical, it, it needs to be a gas that leaves no residue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you would have all these people actually asphyxiating, but appearing to freeze to death, but they, they didn't, in that immediately done. Right. They'd yeah. all just be dead together somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a thought that maybe it was a, a sonic weapon of some type, which would account for a lot of the injuries that, that a few of them sustained. Right. Um, An unknown sound scares them, drives them out of their camp. Yeah. I mean, uh, sound with the, the pressure on that, you know, that, that could travel through without actually bruising. Now, about the bruising and the soft tissue and stuff, if this happened after they they died... Could that uh, the the body wouldn't at least bruise anywhere nearly as fast for one thing, right? Or at all, really? Or at it, all? It, what happens is you get uh, this thing called lividity, where the blood pools at the lowest points. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you die sitting in a chair, you know the backs of your thighs. Your yeah, you'll get blood butt. The backs of your thighs. Your feet will turn black. The the blood just pools. You know, once it stops flowing, it don't care no more. And so. Depending on the position of the body, you know, you're going to see a lot of that thing, a lot of that. But you're right. If they were already dead, you wouldn't see the blood in the tissue. Some of those injuries could be explained after death, I think. In which case, they died and someone or something put them in the ravine. And then when they hit the bottom of the ravine, crack head. Would would 12 to 15 feet of snow on top of you, would that be enough to crush, crush ribs? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, hmm. it's, it's, again, unknown. So, but back to like sonic weapons and stuff like that, weapon testing. This is a, this is a possibility just with some of the confirmations that, that later came out and stuff like that. But again, evidence so scant for any kind of uh, concussion, concussive kind of mm-hmm. blast or, or something something of that nature. I read, a, I read an account where weapons testing was happening. They witnessed it. And then and they then were, were and then were found mm-hmm. by the Soviet army again, ridiculously elaborate. Especially in the fifties, the Soviet army didn't have to make up bullshit if they wanted you. They didn't have to make it make look like accident. No, make look like Soviet army is mad at you. <laughs> is what we make look like. Is make look like you make us angry. Yeah, I mean, again, that that is a possibility, just as much as it. I mean, maybe not as much as it's not, but it's it's still like nothing is a hundred percent, nothing is zero percent plausible in this. You know what I mean? Could That's it? why this is a great mystery and story. Well, what else could it be? Let's let's keep going. Come on, Flora, say it. <laughs> you know where this is going. Well, I, I well, I'll tell you what. How about ghosts? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal. Spirits of the Earls. The uh, uh, the Mansi had a, uh, a group of nine warriors apparently died around the same place there on Kolat Siakl, the Mountain of the Dead. Yeah, 
what if it's vengeful spirits coming in? They don't leave a mark. That's true. <laughs> Drives them mad, scares them. Yeah, scares the hell out of them, gets inside and crushes their chest. Whatever. Those spectral swords. Yeah. Or, you know, since we've got ghosts out here, aliens. Oh, man. Why, they, why, why not? What about those orange spheres? Yeah, orange spheres. Uh, tongue missing, very common in cattle mutilations. Yep, radiation could be, mm-hmm. could be a good Eyes explanation missing. for it. Um, these are, it explains the speed with them wanting to leave in a hurry. Mm-hmm. It explains their reticence to return, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and again, keep in mind, obviously I say these things as though they know right where they are. They know right where the camp is, which may not have been the case at all, but they, they did come through the snow there. Like, mm-hmm. like they, they could have gotten back to camp just by retracing their steps. They, they left a trail through the snow to get to the tree. But they couldn't. But but what if what if the weather was terrible? It's True, dark. It was snowing that night. They did confirm that it was snowing that night. But experienced I, or not, you know that that'd probably be hard to yeah. Hard. But nonetheless, at least you can say worst case scenario. Though the as far as getting back to the camp, you have two people that died at the tree. They decided to stay there. You have three people that decided try to get back. Try to get back to the camp as best they could. And maybe they got lost. Maybe they just, you know, maybe they didn't know where the camp was. Mm-hmm. We'll never know. But there was four people. The largest group said, we're not trying to get back to the camp. They made that decision because they obviously set out in a direction to go deeper into the woods, which unequivocally, whether day, night, rain or shine, they know that's not the direction where the camp is. Right, right. And they chose that direction. And they don't have their gear. I, I, you know, remember they don't have their stuff. They have to take it from other people, actually. Yeah. So, whatever, whatever happened in that camp, they decided it was better to not have shoes in the Ural Mountains in February than to try to go back and get some shoes. And that that's powerful. And and, that, and there's a whole lot of inferences there that whatever scared them out of the tent, they didn't consider to be a one-time event. Yeah. They considered it to be an ongoing issue. Sure, sure. I mean, supposing that's that's why they did right. that, of course. What about Yeti? Oh, yeah. Or the, as they call them in that area, Almas. Yeah. <laughs> Could be attacked by the, the snowman, abominable yeah. snowman, Yeti. Could have been hugged to death. Oh, yeah. Crushed the chest, thrown mm-hmm. down the ravine, whatever. Tongue kissed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this is all the stuff that's been thrown out there for yeah. for this, and it's 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 just fascinating. It's a smorgasbord. There's also the the theory of hypothermic paradoxical undressing. Yes, which is just uh, why I keep the AC on in my apartment all the time. <laughs> when you uh, when you go into hypothermia, your your mind thinks that you basically are, are overheating. Mm-hmm. You're in, in a paradoxical way, you take your clothing off, which speeds up the process of hypothermia. Yeah, you're, you're, you've just, you're so exhausted, your mind's not operating, and you mm-hmm. have this false feeling of warmth. So you're like, oh, it's so hot, I can't. Yeah, I'll never let go, Jack. But <laughs> um, to happen to all nine of them? Right, you know? simultaneously? And they recover enough to build a fire and try to get back to get that. That, to me... Doesn't doesn't cut either. the mustard for no, me. No, not at all. And and again, also, there's no clothes trail. Yeah, yeah. They, no one found a jacket. It would all have to happen in the tent, kind of at the same time. Then they cut out and, and run. Right. Hmm. So let let me go through some of some explanations for us. 
this is to explain some of the weird things that mm-hmm. uh, logically yeah. may, may be why some of the stuff happened. Dubunina's tongue missing. Apparently, I, I found a site that has worked with the Dyatlov Foundation that has really done a lot of homework on this, really looked into this, talked to people, found old Russian uh, reports and, and everything, done all, all they can, that has some of these explanations. They're a little bit more logical, a little less sensationalized, yeah. you know, l- to make the story just a little less sexy than, because it's already yeah. harrowing enough. Yeah, exactly. You know? But people still have spiced this thing up uh, to no end. Now, her tongue, apparently not ripped out of her mouth, but degraded, possibly scavenged, but degraded naturally in a way. Okay. Well, she was in a snowbank for three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was saying that, that the bacteria in the mouth and stuff helped speed up. I mean, you'd have to think that the tongue was removed somehow or another, or at least to, part of it. I mean, because here's the thing. I, I can understand a biological degradation of it if they weren't frozen solid. Yeah. If they weren't literally packed in ice yeah could it be possible that she bit a lot of it off on her in in the the hurry and then it you see you know even when but see i guess like from an impact or something but to bite off a considerable amount of of your tongue and please while you're listening to this on this on the subway please stick your tongue out right now and, and be cognizant of the amount of effort it takes to put a considerable amount of your tongue beyond your teeth yeah yeah that's even in a fall when people, you know, there's an accident or something like that. People don't bite a big piece of their tongue off. They bite the tip off. They bite the small amount that even in speech will sometimes get past the teeth. Yeah. But it takes a very willful action to get that much of your tongue out of your mouth. Now, we, we don't know for sure when they got buried in the ravine. I mean, they had to have fallen down in there and then the snow came. You know what I mean? So... Could have could be that a, a scavenger came along and and got the tongue and then uh, and then took off nice you know quick meal for him a snack and uh, and then you know snowfall accumulates and that's how that well, I don't know but apparently it's just saying that it wasn't ripped out the orange tan skin we already talked about this a little bit uh, not exactly true again these are these are oral reports uh, witnesses that that may not be legitimate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or uh, believable, really. So, some could be maybe from from like you said, wind, burn, sun. Yeah, you know, exposure maybe even will do that. Uh, the desiccation, just being dead, yeah, will make you look aged or withered a little bit. Sure, and um, that'll happen. It just exposure to corpses. You get like this 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 darkening, leathering of the of the external skin. Um, I don't think that that's terribly crazy. I don't. That's one of the things. It's it's just like. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't give that any credence as a as a weird part. It's not like the tongue being missing or what happened in the first place. That all to me is very consistent with people who die of exposure and yeah. then are left exposed, especially with so few clothes yeah, on. Exactly, and uh, maybe even some small part played by the mortician yep. trying to dress them up or something. Absolutely, you know, who knows? Uh, the gray hair, the aging. We we just covered the aging. The gray hair apparently was false. Just completely oh. made up. Um, coroner recorded natural hair colors okay. when, when they were found. So apparently that was false. Uh, the ravine height, we were talking about this, three to five meters. Nine, nine, anywhere from nine to 16 feet. Uh, it's possible injuries could have been sustained in a sudden fall like that. Yeah. You know, if they fell on a rocks or something. Or, yeah, uh, 16 feet does not jump. No, 
so that's the that's the ravine there. Um, the radiation, most likely, they think it's from lab work. I mean, they worked at the Polytechnic Institute. You oh, know, yeah. there were a lot of them. engineers and stuff could have been rubbed off uh, a little bit, gotten the dust on there. Uh, beta radiation, isotope K forty, is what what mm-hmm. it, they decided it was. Um, they they even threw out there the possibility maybe small amounts of uh, widespread fallout from some of the testing that was going that that just got sort of blown in but that just, to me just landed on two pairs of pants but and a just, sweater right right that's kind of strangely specific kind of weird <laughs> but uh the the lab work kind of yeah. you know that that could make sense with the weapons testing and stuff there's a thought that maybe they were testing jet engines at the time as well mm. uh jet engines could account for uh lights some of the lights maybe uh could account for sound the sound of an avalanche apparently yeah could could sound a lot like a jet engine Here's the the problem with that is that air bases weren't close enough, really. There would be no reason why they would be flying out there. It would be very inconvenient, fueling-wise, for them to to fly tests yeah. out there and stuff. So that that one's lower on, on the list, but explained out. Uh, now, they said, this website that I found said that the files were never actually classified. They were just, it was just dumb bureaucracy that was... Hmm. Not either not letting people have them or losing the files or whatever, but that the files themselves just uh, sort of resurfaced randomly in 1990 and, and people got a hold of them, started going through them and stuff. They were just, you know, one of those things sitting in a box somewhere. So so that that was interesting. There was also the thought that there was a missing envelope that contained who knows what that was, you know, in the initial list of was it the uh, envelope from the game clue that just told you everything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's what they thought it was. The contents were unknown. They weren't with these classified files. They, they were on a list of what was supposed to be with everything and they weren't with it. So yeah. that immediately it becomes this, this, that's clue. what we needed. Yeah, the, right. the clue envelope. Right. Apparently not the case. Apparently the contents were uh, just general correspondence with with base, like the paperwork that had to be done. Like, oh, we we want to close off this area so we can look at stuff. Nothing nothing sexy about it. Cutting their way out of the tent. What what initially scared them enough to to get them out of there? Unknown. Yeah. That's that's one of the biggest one of the biggest parts of it. It's not known what caused them to get out into the weather like that. Yeah, there's just there's just nothing that crosses every T and dots every I. No, my thought, they found the Ark of the Covenant. There you go. But but none of their faces were melted off. <laughs> Tongue missing eye mm. eyes. I don't know, man. Those ghosts that go through your chest. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe that did it. it oh, Radiation. That's what gets the. That's how the chest caved in. Yeah. Ark of the Covenant, whatever. One quick thing about Yuri. Uh, Yuri Yudin thought that an explosion killed them uh, and that the military covered it up. Hmm. He also said that there were special boxes with their organs that were sent off for examination and disappeared, never to be heard from again. Wow. Yeah, that's what that's what Yuri thought. Yuri actually just died not too long ago. Uh, I think early 2000s, maybe. Wow. If not rec- more recently. But that's uh, that's a story of Dyatlov Pass for yeah. you. Clip and save that one. If you don't tell it when you go camping, you're an idiot. <laughs> and it, it's just, a, I just love He's it. He's make the women pee their pants. <laughs> don't make pee in the sleeping bag. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just a great spooky story. And it's entirely true. And yeah. we don't know what happened. That's the best part. There's no good resolution. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's really, really too bad what happened to these people. And it, it's just a bit less bad that we don't know what happened to them. And that, and, but at the same time, that's why we uh, that's why we do the sh. That's, <laughs> that's why we punch this clock. <laughs> Man, such a great story. Yeah. You know what else is? That's the. It's, it's. I love this. I love the no resolution. I love the unknown. I love the unknowable. Yeah. Much like how we get our puns. Oh. You can never know how we get our puns. <laughs> you never know what quality they're going to be either. Nope. I feel kind of bad uh, doing the puns for this one. Just, I know. I, I don't want to disrespect uh, the memory of, of these poor people or anything. Yeah, but, but we're still going to do them. We're still going to do them. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing nothing going to change that. Uh, who wants to start? Why don't you go, Flora? All right. I have a store for Fancy Nancys and Dandy Fops. Okay. It's called Kravatlov Pass. Oh, Wow. Because there is few things. Maybe an ascot is more fancy yep. than a cravat, but that's good. <laughs> um, Lots of white pants. <laughs> Boating shoes. Okay, I've got, uh, in place of a pun, I've got a, uh, a message Oh, from the, uh, the Russian Dysentery Council. <laughs> as many people saying, dysentery is such bad disease. Is many people not liking dysentery. I say to you, wait, is sometimes dysentery your friend? Maybe ask my friend Yuri over here. Hi, everybody. See, my friend Yuri here, he goes on camping trip with friends, and he gets dysentery. Dysentery is no joke, but can be your friend. Why is Yuri alive? Dysentery. So next time you are making for having dysentery, make not so much crying. Maybe it's lucky day. He's paid for by Workers' Party for dysentery. <laughs> that that was the dysentery is uh, the hero of the story. It really is. That that was the KGB excuse of puns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very elaborate. <laughs> I even needed you to like chip in on the fly, and I appreciate your improviser's spirit for knowing when I when that had to happen. Thank you, Flora. Goodness, I, it's almost it's I I I it's almost not fair that I needed you for me to do my part. Ah, so whatever, it works. Not you. You built a strong house on your own. So look at me. Yeah, strong. <laughs> uh, here comes another one for you. Oh boy, I got a mountain footwear store. Okay. Place where you can buy your, your mountain footwear. Uh huh. It's called Colot Ribacle. Woo! All right, Ric Flair. Uh, Nature Boy. All right, I got one for you. Did I mention uh, I just got dysentery? Bye! <laughs> <laughs> and dysentery. Well, you know, in that, uh, that region, there's a small chain of franchised uh, outdoor equipment rentals, mostly uh, for cross country ski trips, uh, usually for larger groups. Called, uh, you're all skiing. <laughs> yeah, they specialize in larger groups. Those you're all skiing. In the summer, they switch it to you're all hiking. <laughs> they have like boots and stuff. They sell rebuckles. Yeah, that's right. Cool out rebuckles. Wow. Well done. Yeah. Well done, asterisk. It's a tough thing. It's, it's, it's not. You yeah. never know how it ends. You just don't you know. You know, when, you, when you've got stuff that lives in the swamp and it stinks. Yeah. I mean, it writes itself. 
But yep. when you got nine poor souls that that who yeah. knows what happened? A to tragic them. tale of the unknown. With no. That's with, what I'm blaming this on. <laughs> yeah. With no with no clear ending. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Flora. Yeah. Play me a sound. How about a listener pun sound? <gasps> Oh, thank you. That was just the sound I needed to hear. Did that hit the spot? <laughs> it did. I knew exactly what that sound was. <laughs> just wanted you to know that. Okay. Yeah, um, it's true. We we have a pun. Oh, thank we've, God. We've been, we, we we've been a, axing and axing and axing for yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, and pretty soon I'm going to start hatching in for one. <laughs> like, we were a little pun drought there, and thank God it has been dried up by our very recent... And and you know what? And now retroactively, well deserved winner. Yes, of the 2013 Miss Cryptic Contest, Emerson brought the heat to us. Thanks, Emerson, for sending this one in. This is good. Uh, uh, Dave, you wanna you wanna uh, have the pleasure of, of reading? Emerson's I do. Pun? I do want the pleasure of reading it. Then do it. Emerson hits us with this. It's an old time Victorian sports bar. Old, well, old, old with, with an the e. e. Yep. It's well ahead of its time. Some would say too far ahead. Its ultimate failure was contributing to the fact that they didn't have cable TV yet. Mm. But it's called the Spring Heel Jack Slap Shots oh, with a Z. With a Z. It's where you go with your buddies to watch the game, but you don't have a TV, so I guess we just drink <laughs> and think about sweet, 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 sweet Uh Emerson, for for uh, Spring Heel Jack Slap Shots, I've got... Uh, Ooh. I've got a, a sound effect just for it. If you're not from Chicago, that's the song you've seen whenever our Chicago Blackhawks score a goal, which we are very good at doing. Apparently. <laughs> yep. So uh, thanks, Emerson. That's that's great. Yeah, thank it. you very much. Everybody else, get on the horse. Please do. Ride and uh, and we've got a ton of new listeners. Um, and I think it's uh, part of Ken Heights' uh, multi-tentacled grasp <laughs> on the world of media. So thank you very much and welcome aboard. Yeah, thanks thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, hope hope you're uh, finding it to your liking and and uh, liking it to your finding, which mm-hmm. means and you uh, got a go lot of pun work to do. Yeah, catch up on puns. <laughs> Don't be scared. People, people, don't don't be scared of, of puns. It's just dumb. Have you heard how bad yeah. we are at this? You you hear what we do? <laughs> there's there's not a bar that's so unattainable <laughs> you can't even look at it. Yeah, we're just excited. We, there is a bar. There's a pun bar, and we go and get drunk at it. <laughs> oh, see, I mean, <laughs> join us. It's called it's called Spring Heel Jack, Jack Slap Shots. <laughs> that's our pun bar. So so yeah, uh, don't be scared. Just go go on there and and uh, give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got some quick shout outs. Oh, you do? I do. There is not one but two episodes of Uniform Snowflakes now available on the nice. iTunes. You can listen to that. They are terrific. Uh, if you liked his puns, you'll love his voice. And if you didn't like his puns, there's a really talented woman who does the podcast with him. So. <laughs> Greg yeah. Bach and uh, Kate. Parker do a great podcast. They're good friends of ours, mm-hmm. and uh, and I uh, I just listened to the second episode where they did a little tip of the hat to Blurry Potter. Oh, how kind! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was finally asked to be on 
that podcast. Oh, oh, did you deign to record with them? I, I did. I, I let them be in the in my presence. Nice. How'd that turn out for you? It was fun. Awesome. It was a good time. I'm I'm looking forward to the to that uh that hot track dropping. Oh, you know, speaking speaking of Greg Bach, we got we got uh, an email from him. Did we? We did. And uh, Greg Bach tried to take me down to Chinatown. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I hear they have good wontons. <laughs> they do. Flying chon-chon wontons? Oh, well done. Way to bring it back. <laughs> um, they were made of tauntaun, by the way. Um, yeah, so Greg uh, is taking me to task for my WWF knowledge. Oh, and, no. and, I, and, and I will directly now quote. We were talking about the uh, the cryptid wrestlers that we had created, like uh, Randy the Motho Man Savage. Yeah. And I said, according to Greg, that the Honky Tonk Man would perform the DDT, which, he lets me know, was Jake the Snake Roberts' finishing move, and the Honky Tonk signature move was the Shake, Rattle, and Roll, for which he demands I place myself in the penalty box. Oh, goodness. The rude insouciance of it all. Oh, but Greg, what I said was, and this is, I'm, I know almost nothing about the WWF, and I am so pleased to say this. I said that he would ban the DDT, which was the honky tonks singular cry to ban the DDT because he was so terrified that it would mess up his adorable face. Oh, oh so put yourself in the box, Greg. Oh, Greg, how those tables, they turn. Now, I'm leaving the door open for another tables turning because I haven't gone back and listened to that episode, and maybe I did say, <laughs> yeah, but I know in my heart. Why would you do that? <laughs> because that's what's fair. It's fair and equitable. Because if he was sitting in front of me, I'm like, no, no, I said, okay. ban the DDT. That was his. That was his his rally cry, because he didn't want to get his face messed up. So now I have to I have to listen to that again. And man, I don't I don't know what's beyond the penalty box because I've doubled down. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Uh, so you, no no you, penalty box just yet, well, Mister Bach. But maybe maybe like a penalty box opera. Maybe I'll have to write a musical if, and perform it. No, the I was gonna box. say if if you're wrong, it's the penalty box filled with bees. <laughs> <laughs> their stinging pain is just delayed enough that i can't quite figure out what's happening uh but uh, thank you, you for pieces is off of me pieces <laughs> i'm a little allergic <laughs> yeah, try to say anaphylaxis in the penalty box good good luck uh but thank you for very much for writing greg and man yeah. i hope i'm not wrong because i doubled down on you <laughs> everybody else uh write in give us uh, yeah. give us some feedback uh, let, it, let us know uh let us know what you think uh give us some so- show suggestions we got a couple brewing that yep. that you guys have kindly uh suggested to us some um, real real fun fun ones you can do that with the twitters with the stumblings upons you can you can just just email us directly through the website you yep. can uh youtube facebook facebook all Gosh, of that stuff man. we were all we have just put we have made it so easy we're practically in your living room right now saying just talk to us but That's we right. haven't forgot you <laughs> we ain't forgot you y'all are still here but y'all should leave. <laughs> y'all should leave. Y'all leave. No, get seriously, out of don't here. leave. Just... Don't leave. Go <laughs> on, get out of here. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> meow, 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 meow. 
But uh, yeah, thanks thanks for those of you who've written in, and, and thanks for the feedback that you've given us. Please go out and tell people, tell people to listen to yep. us, even if you don't think they'll they'll like us or the subject matter. I usually say, you know, you you might not like the subject matter, but hopefully we make it uh, entertaining enough for you oh, to yeah. to want to listen to. Pick your favorite episode and share it. We're not saying that anyone has to sit through uh, Alistair Crowley. <laughs> oh, but uh, you know what though? Yeah, I had a great discussion about this. Now, uh, you might recall already, last week's guest, Ken Height, I was mm-hmm. talking to him after the podcast, and the subject came around to Alistair Crowley. Now, Ken is a certified super genius, and he insists on saying Crowley. Interesting. Yeah. And I asked him, and uh, Mr. Height's position, that he takes great delight in deliberately mispronouncing the last name of uh, a guy who just ran around being an and cheating on his wife <laughs> and so and and given given the circles he moves in he actually has quite the opportunity to mention mr crowley or crowley huh. i think i'm just i'm just gonna pretend that i'm indignant just so i can keep saying crowley because it seems to be what my head wants to do anyway <laughs> so well, there's a little fun fact little a little go. extra little height fact <laughs> a heightism mm-hmm. uh great you guys thanks for listening uh again Keep on sending us stuff. Yeah. Keep on uh, sending us out in the world. And get ready because July is going to be some fun stuff, I think. Yeah, we got some cool stuff coming up. So for this episode of Blurry Photos, I would be David Flora, but the Russian government covered it up. Oh, nice. And I'm not David Stecco. You're all David Stecco. You're all. (laughs) Cool. Oh, bye. (laughs) That's it. That's really the best. That's all you get. (laughs) What have you done, Dawson the Doggin?